Everyone has a story from the person that you don't know that checks you out at Target or at Kroger or Aldi's or wherever you go to shop, to the person sitting across the cubicle from you or the person who comes in to your place of business to buy something from you. Everybody has a story, some sort of backstory that has led them right to that moment, right where they are. For most of us, what I find is that um, we don't think that our particular story is, is very unique because we've lived it. Oftentimes, people who are really, really good at something, they don't really even realize how good they are at it because it, in some ways, comes naturally to them. The skills that they had or the gifts have led them to that, and then they've honed that over time or had the opportunity to get better at that. And, and so the level that they, where they are, they just, it, just, it just happens. It just flows naturally for them. And so they don't think, ah, oh, that's not very special. Everybody can do that. Well, we just know that that's not true, don't we? that not everybody can do everything at the level. But when it comes to ourselves, we often think that we're not very special, that it's, you know, that it's just sort of common. But then on the other hand, there's this unique, interesting thing that happens psychologically to us when we're going through difficult times, when we go through depression or, or, or sadness, or when we're struggling um, with addictions and other illnesses. Oftentimes, we get into this mind frame of, we're the only one who's going through this. We're the only one who's struggling with our marriage. We're the only one who's struggling with our work. We're the only one who's struggling with whatever it is. And we sort of get in this mindset of we're all alone in it. And that's not true either. I do um, quite a bit of writing, as, as many of you well know, and I take writing classes on a regular basis. And what's been very interesting about that is in these writing classes, it's, it's called creative nonfiction. And so we're writing out of the stories of our own lives. And what's so interesting is when you get nine people together around the table, you begin to see that everybody, everybody has a story. And often everybody is fighting something about which you have no idea. That our, our struggles are actually quite common. And that when we share those, when we share those struggles, is actually when we get stronger. When we are lifted up. It doesn't, con- it doesn't confirm us in it so that we just wallow in it more. It's almost like, oh, you're going through that too? What, what, what have you done? What has helped you? And then we begin to find our commonality in the pain and in the struggle to lift us out of that. In our lives, in the midst of struggle, we often make um, key decisions. And even, and even and, you know, as children, we make key decisions. Someone might say to us, oh, you're not, you're not very good at singing. And so forget about it. You're done. You don't sing anymore for the rest of your life. You might have had the most beautiful voice, but that teacher didn't realize that it was just undeveloped at that moment. There are many people who are writers who, who when, they were, when they were coming up in high school and then in early college had writing teachers who because of their own ego and because of their own way would say, oh, you're, you, you, know, you, don't, you don't have the gifts, you don't have the skills to be able to do this, you ought to just forget about it. And so they wait 20, 30 years and then something in them just has to break free and, they, and, they, and they, they change that key decision and they say, you know, I'm going to start writing. 
some of the most prolific writers in their 40s, 50s, and 60s are those people. Because it's like it's been germinating in there, and now it comes out. They change that key decision. And so our past, our past can really influence our future, not necessarily because we didn't get something or something didn't happen for us, but because of the key decisions that we make there. Because of the things that we decide in the past that then we just carry with us for the future and things that we decide when we're 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, when we're 26, 28, 46, 48, 66, you know, we shouldn't be using the same decisions that we made when we were 12 or 13 or 14, should we? Hopefully we're different. (laughs) Hopefully we've grown beyond 12 or 13 or 14. I mean, you know, we all know people who probably haven't, but that's a whole other thing. And they probably live in our household. But So we have these key decisions, and, and we often let the past define us. In, in this story about Scrooge, it's almost as if he's forgotten his past. It's almost like he's, he's shoved it away in a corner and, and really for, forgot about it. If you haven't read the second stave of, of the story of, of the visit from, from Christmas past, I, I encourage you to. Because as he goes back, as he goes back, it's, it's really quickly how this old man, this, this old shriveled up curmudgeon, he... He sees himself as a young boy and immediately he has compassion for himself. He has compassion for himself. And immediately in the story, it it causes him to have compassion for someone else because he he sees this little boy, he sees himself and he has compassion on him. And then he says to the ghost, he says, oh, and the ghost says, what are you thinking? He says, I wish I would have said something to that that boy who was caroling. Because here Scrooge is alone in the school by himself. And Scrooge now realizes maybe if he'd have said something to that boy who was caroling that might have lifted his spirits a little bit. Later on, they go to, they go to visit Scrooge when he's, when he's interning, when he's doing his internship, his apprenticeship with, with old Fezziwig. What a great name that is. Old Fezziwig. And they, I'm not exactly sure what they do, but, but, but there's, there's this, they're in this big warehouse. And, and so it's seven o'clock at night on Christmas Eve and Fezziwig comes down and he's really jovial. And he says, okay, we got to clear the tables. We got to clear everything out. We need, we need a big space. And, and then he's invited all of, all of his friends and family and all the co-workers come in and there's a big dance and a big party and Fezziwig is the one who's, who's leading that up you know and him, him and his wife are dancing and, and he's just showing a wonderful time and, and Scrooge sees that and, and, he, and he realizes that Fezziwig because he's the boss really has the opportunity to make or break the feelings of the people that work under him and he has compassion with Fezziwig, and he then says, then he gets this look on his face or whatever, and the Spirit says, well, what? And he says, oh, I just was thinking I I should have said something to Bob Cratchit. That going back and, and looking at our past 
can cause us to view things differently and cause us to see things differently. When we look at the past that we share as Christians, in the story of Christmas and in the story of the coming of the Messiah, it always talks about the darkness. The people who lived in darkness. The people who lived in deep darkness have seen a great light. Isn't it interesting that the first people who hear about the birth of Jesus are out there in the dark, tending sheep. And that the glory of the Lord shines around them. The light comes to them in these shepherds. And the angels sing. And they are lifted up. And we know that those shepherds then make this trek. They leave their sheep in the fields as far as we know. And they they make the trek to, to Bethlehem to go and to see this Christ child. The light that has come into the world. Because when you're living in darkness, when you're living in darkness, even just a little bit of light can give hope. Even just a little bit of light can give hope. The past can touch our hearts in a way that we are uplifted. I don't know if you you heard that in the... In, in the dramatic reading about the Spirit basically says, let me, here, take my hand, put it on your heart, and you'll be uplifted in more than this. I think there's a lot of symbolism there. That when we let the past touch our hearts and we have compassion for ourselves, and we have compassion for others. And I think having this hope, having this hope in Jesus Christ, that, that, there, is, that there is hope, that even in the darkest time, that, there, that, that the light is coming in the, has come and is coming into the world, that we then can have compassion for others in a different way and compassion for ourselves in a different way. Let the past touch your heart. The Spirit um, is asked by Scrooge, why did you come? And the Spirit says, for your welfare. And Scrooge mumbles something, rah, 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 whatever. And then the Spirit says this, for your reclamation, to reclaim you. Because somewhere in there, Scrooge got lost. He made some key decisions. And you hear it when he's sitting down with this, with this young woman who, who, you know, she says, we had a contract we had a contract, and, and really what I, what, what I believe that means is that they, they were engaged. But he has made a decision that he will never be poor, and so he must always be about the work of gain, and nothing else matters. And she sees how that decision has changed him. And she cannot be part of that decision. And so she sets him free to live out that decision. And when he sees her later, his heart, again, he has compassion for himself and he, he mourns a bit this lost relationship and what, what could have been in that. Because 
while we can be reclaimed, our past is still the past. We can't go back and change what we've done, the decisions we've made, but we can move forward. We can move forward and, and we, can, we can light the candle of new life that Christ invites us to light. Because Jesus comes into the world to reclaim everyone. To redeem everything. It says in the scripture that everything at the end of time, when Jesus comes again, that everything will be redeemed. Everything will be reclaimed. One of the images I love is that if you look out on a field that has been, that's barren, that, has been, that maybe, it's been, maybe it's been salted by an enemy, you know, to, that it'll never produce fruit in this lifetime, that even the dirt will be redeemed to become fruitful. And so even those people that as we look around our world that we might write off, that we might say they're no good, there's no hope for them. In Christ, in Christ, there is. In Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is light. In Christ, there is reclamation and there is salvation. There is hope from heartbreak. Christ can even redeem the person that you might think least likely to be redeemed. And that might be the person living in your own body. And what I would say is that Christ has already redeemed us. And we are called to light the candle of that new life so that others might see that light in the darkness. That we become beacons of hope for others. And so this miracle, it's already begun in Christ and it's already begun in us. God bless us. Everyone. Amen. you who are haunted by past disappointments, by scattered dreams, come, you who feel burdened by the patterns set up early in life, come, you who yearn to start anew, this is the table of redemption, this is the table of transformed lives. And so in this upcoming moment of silence, I invite you to silently lift up to God the dim corners the dim corners of your life, of your history, of your past, that you desire to be illumined by God's unending forgiveness. 